The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. I'm uh, really excited about today. I've, I've had a really good week and uh, spent a lot of time out at the uh, Ben Avery shooting range. Uh, it's the 2017 Burger Southwest Nationals um, full bore championships going on. That includes high power, which is shot uh, prone with a sling. And F-Class, both open and FTR, open is set is shot prone from a rest, and FTR is shot prone from a bipod. And all three of these uh, disciplines all shoot at between, you know, 600 uh, and 1,000 yards. So today they're having the individual 800, 900, 1,000 yard uh, uh, matches today. So it's been a lot of fun. Seen a lot of good shooting, some new national record shot. And that's kind of a segue into our first guest. Um, I met uh, Paul Phillips uh, a couple of years ago when uh, he came to the shop and and specifically asked me if I would uh, get involved in helping sponsor the uh, U.S. rifle team uh, for the FTRF class uh, division. And uh, I told him that I would, and it's been a really great marriage for McMillan and the U.S. rifle team. Um, welcome, Paul. How are you doing? Hey, great, Kelly. Glad to be on today. Good. I'm glad you're here, too. Uh, sorry you weren't out here on the range. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that you missed this one. Uh, you, you've won this match a, a few times with your team. Um, what's keeping you away from the match today? Oh, you know, uh, yes, uh, I'd love to make it out there. Obviously, you know, we have a lot of things going on with the U.S. rifle team and practices and a lot of stuff going on with the ELR stuff, so... You know, I, I can only get so much time off of work, Kelly, so I have to pick my matches and, and uh, you know, prioritize the international stuff. Um, but maybe next year we can make it out there and visit you guys. Well, I'm definitely going to go to Canada with you up to Connaught for the World Championships. That's uh, something that we've actually been working, you and I, three years on, but you four since the last uh, World Championships. Is that right? Yeah, um, every four years we have the World Championships for the U.S. Rifle Team. Um, it, it first started in 2009, then 2013, and then 2017 I'll be in Ottawa, Canada. So, yeah, every four years we do that big World Championship. Well, you've been involved in uh, a number of national championship teams, world championship teams. Why don't you just kind of give us an overview of, of your shooting uh, history so that the people that, that are listening uh, know who they're, they're listening to? Sure. Well, you know, I started in the Marine Corps. I started shooting in the Marine Corps. I was in a scout sniper platoon as a scout, and I had a lot of experience there. I got out and started shooting competitively. Um, F-Class started in 2004. Uh, I've been on 10 national championship teams, gold medal teams, since 2004. Um, Four American matches, which is every two years. So I did 2010, 12, 14, and 16, and I was a shooter on on those uh, championship teams. And then I was, you know, lucky enough to make the uh, two world championship teams we did in 2009 in uh, England and 2013 in uh, Raton, New Mexico. So I've been really privileged to be a, a part of, you know, just a great bunch of guys and uh, learned a lot from all of them. And, and uh, we've done very well for Team USA and uh, Team Sinclair with the national championships. Well, that's really impressive. Uh, I know one of the things that you're most... Um proud of is the fact that uh, you're one of the better wind coaches, and, and I know for those people who have never shot a high-power discipline, they don't understand how extremely important the coaching is, and most people think of, of shooting sport as an individual sport where it's just you and pulling the trigger, but uh, high-power especially, and, and F-class too, 
the coach is probably as important as the shooter. Why don't you give our listeners a little bit of uh, understanding about what it is that the coach does and why the teamwork is so important? Sure. Well, you know, a good analogy, I was thinking about this today, you know, how to explain this to give the listeners a good analogy, a vision. So for ELR, for example, um, you know, when you talk about the, the, the velocity of the bullet and the ballistic coefficients of the bullet for comparisons, we're trying to shoot a one-minute-of-angle target at two miles. So let's go with, um, you know, Brian Litz's bullet, the three thirty-eight bullet. You know, it's traveling about 2,850 feet per second at two miles. One mile per hour is worth about 1.8 minutes of angle, which is about five feet of drift. So there's five feet of drift for one mile per hour. That is your discrepancy. So if you're reading the wind and you're seeing changes, you know, it picking up and letting down, you have to be able to calculate that within one mile per hour, and you're still missing the target. So really you have to calculate all this wind within a half a mile per hour. Now if we go to um, Mitch's bullet, the 375 lethal mag, it's a little better. That gets it down to about, oh, 0.7 of angle, so around 18 inches for one mile per hour. So that shows you the advantage of bullets. But when we talk about the U.S. rifle team with a 308 at 1,000 yards, you know, these little incremental wind changes can make the difference of, you know, fours and fives at the international level. So really, the matches are won and lost with the coaches, the coaching staff. It's exactly the uh, shooter and the I know Ian Clem. Great. Uh, go, go ahead. Uh, Ian Clem shot a, a 599 with 38 X's yesterday to win the match and set a new national record. And what that 599 means is that he shot pins consistently, which means he only dropped one point during the entire match. So that's how critical one point can be. And when you're talking about, you know, the wind moving the bullet, you know, as much as six or seven inches, th- that's enough for a couple of points in just in one shot. Yeah, Ian's tearing it up. You know, he, he's got that new left-handed McMillan stock that, that you created, the exit, and, uh, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, it started off with Derek Rogers setting the record last year at 1,000, and then Team Sinclair winning a new national championship with all exit stocks. Now the team guys are starting to really do well, and it's, it's showing. You know, Ian is, is on fire right now. Yeah, I was excited about the fact that the team that won the team match yesterday, all four of them were shooting McMillan uh, stock. So that that was, uh, you know, a, kind of a feather in our cap. N- not that we can take a lot of credit because all four of the guys that were on that winning team were really good shooters, um, all but one on uh, Team USA. So, you know, they've had a lot of experience. They've worked together and, and shoot together. So that's an indication of not only how good of shooters they are, how good of equipment they have, but also how good of team they are. Uh, Matt Schwarzkopf was their coach, who's a, a coach for the, the USA rifle team. So um, they had it all put together, and that it was a result in the, uh, that was a, a winning result. No, that's phenomenal. It's a great, it's a great example of the three components to go into successful, you know, uh, competition. You know, you got, you got great equipment to start out with, great teamwork, communicating with each other and with the coaches, and then obviously, you know, you have a science of accuracy of understanding the ballistics and making those correct win calls. I was talking to Brian Litch yesterday, and he, well, listen, over um, listening to a conversation that he had with another guy, and he said that, the wind drift in a 308 at 1,000 yards is comparable to that of a 22 rimfire at 200 yards. And the reason that I bring this up is for those people around the country who have never had an opportunity to shoot 1,000 yards but may have had the experience of trying to shoot a, a 22 rimfire at 200 yards, now you can kind of understand what are some of the challenges that you're seeing um, in comparison to the the 22 and the 308. So So you mentioned ELR. Let's talk about that a little bit because there's really a craze for that. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the E stands for. Some people think it's extreme long range. Some think it's extra long range. What's your interpretation of what the E and ELR stands for? Uh, I've heard it both ways, extreme, extra. It's just really far. I, I guess, you know, we... 
we've been a lot of the community have been talking about ELR, what it means, and, and whatnot. And I think the majority of the opinion out there believes that it starts around 1,500 yards, and it's extreme range beyond that. So 1,500 yards out to two to three miles. I think that's the uh, general. You had theme the experience of, of shooting in the king of the two mile last year. We talked about that on the show before. Um, actually, had Brian on the show. Um, I, I think. Um, you, you would be most proud of, and we've talked about this before, uh, the fact that, that you were coaching both the, the first and second place shooters, um, uh, on, uh, and you were part of the uh, applied ballistics team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year they had a significant number of shooters, but with, with all of the social media that we've been doing and trying to promote and build the sport, and uh, you know, the whole sport is supposed to be about pushing the limits, finding out what it takes to shoot accurately at two miles. And, and, if, we, and if we somehow figure that out, uh, I'm sure that range will be extended. Um, what do you think are some of the most critical things in making this happen and making it a viable sport, not just an endeavor? Yeah, I think we need to get an organization to step forward, somebody to take control, to have a standardized, uh, standardized rules, you know, not real big and thick, just something one page so it's easy and fun for everybody. Somebody that can um, have a course of fire that's going to allow a lot of people to come. Um, for example, last year we had 38 teams for King of Two Mile. This year, I think there's 50 teams that filled up less than one hour. So there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm out there. There's a lot of people that want to get involved and participate. We just need to have a vehicle to, to carry us forward into the future. To, so that we're all on the same page. There's been talk about records. How do we establish them? What are they? So we're kind of in the infant stage right now trying to develop this, much like F-Class in 2004 when we started, and look where we are today. So I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm really excited to see where it's going to take us. And obviously, hey, much like yourself, I, with uh, stocks. I wanted to you know, uh, say hello again. Going on. Hey, Paul, do you hear me? This is us. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Um, I wanted to mention um, when we were at Shop Together, Shop Show, uh, about three weeks ago, you kind of emceed a brilliant meeting that we had at the McMillan booth where all the players in the ELR community were there, from ballisticians to barrel makers, actions, uh, suppressors. Um, just It was a really, really great meeting. It was I don't want to say it was impromptu, but, um, you know, People knew about it a day or two before, but just the amount of people that showed up and the amount of quality folks that you had there um, speaking. Um, by the way, I'll let you know that I videoed uh, all those, and you are probably in about 80% of the videos that McMullen will be releasing uh, over the next uh, month and a half showing what we've come up with with ELR. But I know that there were some meetings after that, and where, where is the ELR community going um, after those meetings, and how are you guys structuring it? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, yeah. You know, I just I saw a lot of potential here with all these people that are doing the ELR stuff. You know, you've got so many people involved and so many big companies that want to get involved in that. Also, I feel to mention, you know, the military and law enforcement, they, they have their eyes on this as well. It's not just about competing and enjoying what we love to do, but it's educating the military and the law enforcement of what this new technology is and how we implement it to hopefully carry forward and save lives out there. Fantastic, fantastic. You know, that's, that's an admirable thing. Um, you know, there have been some really long-range shots taken um, by the military in combat. Uh, I know for uh, almost uh, 10 years, the, the longest confirmed kill in combat was um, done by Rob Furlong, a Canadian sniper using the McMillan TAC-50. Uh, and that was uh, 2,430 meters. I think that record was broken in 2012 by a British sniper using a 338 Lapua, and I think it's like 2,700 yards, which uh, translates to about 30, 30 yards more than, than Rob's. But, but that's a long ways. I mean, that's an incredibly long ways. But uh, in both those cases, it wasn't a case of knowing what they had to begin with and dialing it in. They, you know, they basically walked it in and, and figured out what it was on the fly. And that's something that you can only do with experience as well, right? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest highlight of our King of Two Mile Championship last year was 
um, Mitch Fitzpatrick was shooting, and Brian and I were, you know, watching the wind and coaching along with his applied ballistics solutions, and we were able to make first-round impacts, first- and second-round impacts from 1450 all the way up to 1.4 miles. So, I mean, that, that really is, it tells everybody in the community that it is possible. Um, the, this, the science of accuracy does work, and the components that we use are re- repeatable. So that really, to me, is the most impressive thing. And I think you know, people are taking note of this and realizing that these things can be utilized by our military and law enforcement and uh, you know, long-range hunters and, and competitors. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that we're trying to accomplish is, is growing the knowledge base. Um, we've asked everybody involved in the ELR to share what it is that they're doing. Please, no secrets, so that we can all learn from it. And then when it gets down to the competition, we know that everybody has an opportunity to, to use this, you know, draw from the same knowledge base, though they might choose different bullets, different powders, uh, but... Still, if all of the information is available, it's still a level playing field, and that makes any type of competition more rewarding for the winner when they know it wasn't just the fact that they had the only gun on the line capable of doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, it, it, as always with somebody who's really interesting, Paul, we're, we're running short of time. Uh, I want to thank you again for not only being here on the radio show with me, but, but being a mentor in terms of the, the competition, um, F-Class and, and uh, full-bore competition, it, it's really been fun to learn. Uh, I, I was the really grateful recipient of uh, an F-Class uh, FTR rifle uh, given to me by the, the members of Team USA, uh, and uh, I have the entire kit so there's really nothing that's going to keep me from shooting F-Class now. So now all I have to do is learn to get behind the gun and pull the trigger. That's uh, right. Well, We've got to get you out thanks, there now. Thanks, Kelly. I just one quick thing. Uh, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps in 1992, it was your father that inspired me. So ever since that day, I've been, you know, very interested in the sport. And he's the one actually who turned me on to all this stuff. Well, uh, you know, I love to hear that. Um, you know, my, my father inspired me uh, all my life, and, and I, I really am happy to hear when people talk about my father, though he's been gone for a number of years, uh, he hasn't been forgotten, and that's, that's really important to me. It's been great having you on the show, Paul. Uh, definitely want to call you back on and, and have you spend some more time with us uh, down the road. I'm, I'm looking forward to spending a week with you up in Canada for the uh, World Championships. It's going to be a lot of fun. Good enough, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. Okay, Paul. Take care, Paul. And everyone stay with us through the break. We'll be right back with another interesting guest. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Hi, welcome back. This is Kelly McMillan. Thanks for being with us. Um, we have a, a, an interesting guest coming up. You know, Jonathan Owen has been uh, a friend, an associate, uh, a compatriot for of mine for uh, a long time. We met by chance a, a few years ago and uh, got to know each other at a Cardinals football game, which is always a, a good way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Jonathan is one sharp cookie. Not only does he um, own special hunting weapons and tactics, he's also a super IT guy, and his company is responsible for handling all of our website design, uh, functionality, and everything. And, and so not only is he love guns and he's making a living in this industry but he's also one of those leading edge guys who have stayed up with all of the latest trends in um, websites and development so Jonathan glad to have you with us Uh, happy you could join us Uh, why don't you uh, give our listeners a little bit of background uh, on you and, and tell us a little bit about yourself well, you know, I grew up in Texas and uh, grew up in Dallas and didn't really have the opportunity to go hunting, but I did grow up in the 4-H shooting sports program. And uh, it wasn't long, and I was doing uh, little air rifle ranges in mom and dad's house. We'd all trapped out in their bedroom, and we'd be in the dining room and shoot down the hall. And that was a ton of fun. So we learned a little bit about marksmanship, learned a lot about safety, and went on to teach that uh, as I went through the 4-H shooting sports program. Then I went off to school, never having hunted, and uh, I got drugged into the hunting world. I got an invitation. My my, uh, best man at my wedding was a missionary's kid growing up in Tanzania. And so they were great friends with the National Game Warden, and he had shot everything you can think of in Africa. And I had never shot anything but a rabbit somewhere, maybe. And so he invited me to go whitetail deer hunting. And we went out five times in January. It was cold. It was miserable. And he promised me if I blinked real loud, we'd scare off the deer. And I must have been blinking very loudly because we never saw anything. We were out at 3 o'clock in the morning shivering. And I thought, man, this is uh, this is crazy. This is why God gave us grocery stores. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, fast forward, I'd bought into that thing, hey, I'm a, I'm a shooter, not a hunter. And... Uh, Turns out I was wrong. I got drugged into hog hunting, and it was like being inside of a video game. Lots of shooting, lots of hogs to uh, put on the ground, give dirt naps to. And uh, that's how I got drugged back into the hunting world. And uh, fast forward, now we, uh, now we have SWAT, Special Hunting Weapons and Tactics. Well, I know that you're not alone in that. I, the first four or five times I hunted in Arizona... I hunted with some employees or some friends that didn't know any more about hunting than I did. Unfortunately, by the time I was old enough to start hunting, my dad had given it up. Uh, He hunted uh, pretty um, successfully when we were in Alaska, and my brother, being a couple years older, you know, got to go out and hunt with him, but, but I was too young, so I didn't. By the time we moved to Arizona, he was out of the Air Force starting the business and uh, just never really got the bug to go hunt here. I, I suppose when you've been in an environment where you have unlimited number of targets, like you do uh, with an, a caribou herd or on a moose hunt up in Alaska, it's hard to come back to Arizona. 
and have the experience that I had, and that is hunt for the entire six days of a hunt and never see a single animal. And that's not really the best way to foster the the hunting bug in new new hunters. Uh, so I agree with you. Get in a go down to Texas. Get on one of the uh, farms where the hogs are definitely a problem, and help to eradicate the problem as as much as you can. It gives an opportunity for you to shoot a lot of animals. Get get to understand a little bit about the excitement about it. And then the next time you go out and you go hunting, it's not nearly as critical that you you feel that thrill of success when you pull the trigger. It's more about the the entire experience of hunting. Well, I couldn't agree more. A few years ago, I got to go on a bear hunt in Idaho, and we went up with uh, Barnes Bullets, actually, and it was four or five days of chasing after bears with dogs. And I thought, man, this is going to be a boring hunt. We're going to, you know, the dog's going to tree a bear on the side of the road. We'll throw rocks. It'll be dead. And that's the, we call that hunting. I thought, man, I don't know. I like action adventure hunting. That's kind of, I thought this would be a boring deal. Well, I couldn't have been any more wrong about that experience. We spent days, the day that we finally got a bear, was absolutely amazing. I think the bear ran 25 miles. We were on foot, in trucks, on motorcycles, covering an insane amount of ground. We had, were tag-teaming the bear. Uh, we had a shooter down low, and I was up high. The guy that was down low ended up getting the shot and taking the bear. But if you told me today, we're going to send you on a hunt, you can't even carry a gun, you're just going to help out, with the same kind of experience you had there in Idaho, I'd be all in because it was action, it was adventure, and the fact that I wasn't the guy who ended up pulling the trigger didn't matter one bit at the end of the day because the experience itself was so amazing. Well, that's the, that's the rule here in Arizona, especially when you're elk hunting. If somebody calls, you go. You don't ask any questions. You don't put it off. You say, I'll be there as fast as I can, and you get there to help. Because, as you know, elk are huge. In Arizona, we hunt in really tough terrain, and it usually takes minimum of three guys, but it's always nice if you got the fourth guy to help with the the carrying the game out or getting them back to the um, the side-by-side or however you're going to do it, but it's always nice to have more than a couple of guys helping out. So when somebody calls, you you go, because when it's your turn and you've got an elk down and you need to make a phone a phone call or two, you want them to show up too. So that's kind of the way hunting is here in Arizona. The one thing that I will agree with you on absolutely is that until I think you've actually shot your first animal and you get that part of it out of the way, I don't think you can really focus on the entire experience and appreciate it all because Everybody seems to be focused on, I, I want to kill an animal, and, and I, I want to get that trophy. And, and until you do that the first time, I don't really think you appreciate hunting as much as you do afterwards. Uh, and I find that people often say, well, you know what? It's not the, the taking the trophy that's what really draws me back to hunting. It's being out there, experiencing it, experiencing the wildlife, and basically just spending, you know, five, six days in, in the wild. Yeah, Kelly, I've never even shot a trophy. I have had the best time hunting. I'm pretty much an average guy that gets to do some pretty neat things, and that's really, I think, why SWAT has such an appeal to people. And well, Jonathan, let's talk about SWAT a little bit. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, it's an online magazine, right? Exactly. So explain to us what it is, what you do, uh, why all of my listeners are going to want to go to your website and and check you out. So Special Hunting Weapons and Tactics is schwat.com, just like it sounds like. That word is meant to be abused, like that Jonathan guy, he doesn't know schwat. I think we can say it on the radio. (laughs) So having said that, SWAT is indeed an awful lot of fun. We have some great contributors that bring a very diverse level of experience into the arena. SWAT is that place where the tactical shooter is the hunter and the hunter is the EDC guy and everything overlaps. And unfortunately, early in my shooting, when I went out on that first hunt and concluded, you know, I'm a shooter, not a hunter, I had bought into what I believe today is an artificial hyper-segmentation of human beings. I don't know anybody who is that one-dimensional. 
I like it all. Uh, the EDC, self-defense, I think is very, very important to many, many of us. The shooting aspect, the things that Paul was talking about in the first uh, segment of the broadcast, absolutely fascinating. And one of the great benefits that I've had being in the industry is the opportunity to learn and to go and to stretch out and shoot a little bit longer and develop an appreciation and uh, some minimal level of skill in that department. And then you take that and you say, look at a guy, for example, like Eric Alexander, who writes for us out of Miami, Florida. You know, Eric has a master's degree and has worked in international finance. He is a tactically trained shooter, big time, been to lots of schools and so forth, who then said, hey, I think this hunting thing is a neat idea. So when Eric writes a story about a hunt and so forth, he comes at it from developing proficiencies in the shooting world, applying them in the hunting world. Dylan Saunders is uh, in the opposite universe up in uh, Alaska, grew up without electricity, didn't think black guns were cool until after he had uh, been in the military and kind of even snubbed some of those black guns and realized, hey, you know what, the ergonomics of these things are really where it's at, and a whole different perspective and vantage point. Schwat is that place where you can be interested in hunting, but you like shooting, or you could be a shooter and you're interested, or a hunter and shoot interested in shooting, vice versa. Everybody leans one way or another. Schwat is that place where we cover the technology and the tactics and the fun we educate and hopefully entertain. We do videos and stories, and uh, it's just an awful lot of fun. Our readers are fantastic. I have to say this. We put out a story. I, I got a question from a reader, and as I was answering it, I thought, this would make a nice story. So I published it and asked our audience for help to answer the questions, and they came in and chimed in and provided some fantastic feedback for that guy that had a question on hunting with ARs. That's awesome, Jonathan. I see Zev over in the corner jumping up and down, waving his hand. I think he's got a question for you. I do. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Terrific, Zev. Good talking to you. Good. Well, you know, I, I don't think any conversation with, with Jonathan Owen can be had without talking about uh, a hog hunt and uh, and the IWI Tavor, especially the new one that came out. I noticed that you probably spent a lot of time at the IWI booth at SHOT. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your fascination with the Tavor and what you do with it when you go hog hunting out in Texas? Well, absolutely, and ironically, I've just reached over here and uh, picked up an IWI Tavor X95 and 5.56 flat Jones. dark earth. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic gun. I am fascinated by the bullpup. When we hunt hogs, for example, in Texas, we're in and out of vehicles a ton. We've hunted them off four-wheelers. We've been in and out of side-by-sides. We've driven pickup trucks and Jeeps, and it's just a constant game of movement. Whether it's day or night, it's in and out of a vehicle, stalking up on the animals uh, in, in groups preferably, and uh, then seeing how much fun we can have uh, with those hogs. I love the bullpup design because it's so great to get in and out of a vehicle with. It's short, and you can have SBRs, and I love SBRs, but you get a 16-inch barrel on this, so you give up nothing in terms of your ballistics. And, uh, yeah, it's quick. These guns are so quick to maneuver with, so easy to get in and out of a vehicle with. Uh, I am completely stoked about using this. And I've got a 300 Blackout uh, X95 Tavor coming. So we're pretty excited about that as well. Well, you seem to get all the new gear and do great write-ups on it and great evals, so I'll definitely look forward to your uh, to your email. If, if folks don't get your email, they should go on your website and request it because it's something I look forward to. I want to say it comes out every couple of weeks. Is that right? Yeah, about every 10 days. Okay, great. Well, it was good talking to you, man, and, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the next show or when you come out to Phoenix. Hey, Jonathan, in about 30 seconds, do me a favor. Um, give us your the website for your IT company and, and just a, a brief overview. I'm sorry we didn't save enough time to, to really hit that because I know there's a lot of people, you know, small businessmen that would love to be able to take advantage of some of the things that you do. Well, in the uh, sense of the cobbler's kids have no shoes, uh, our website is fusionwebarchitectsplural.com, fusionwebarchitects.com. Uh, we are honored to work with Kelly and some of the other people in the industry that we have the opportunity to serve through website design, development, hosting, and consulting. 
Well, thanks, Jonathan. I'm sorry that wasn't longer, but I guarantee you next time you come on, I'll give you more time to speak about that. Uh, it's been great having you. You're a great guest, and uh, look forward to the next time. Many thanks, Kelly, and thank you, Zev. Take okay, care, and stay with us. We'll be right back in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Hi, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Uh, uh, now we're going to begin our third segment today with a, a good friend of mine, personal friend that uh, I've known for quite a while, uh, really terrific young man, uh, great family man, uh, one of the better hunters that, that I know, um, Ryan Sorensen. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kelly. Good to be here with you. So I know it's uh, you just finished up a hunting season. I know that, that last uh, 2016 was quite a year for you, hunt-wise. Why don't you give us a little bit uh, uh, of what happened last year? 2016 was a great year. We had some uh, some good stateside hunts. We all I was also able to uh, go with my dad and my brother and brother-in-law and spend a few weeks in South Africa on a uh, trophy hunt that was coupled with some coal hunting as well which was a, uh, uh, a great experience. We got to see a lot of country. We got to hunt. Uh, we, were, we were mostly in Limpopo, but, but we were able to hunt seven or eight different concessions and see lots of different animals in country. It was, it was awesome. Uh, Isn't it amazing? We got to come, anybody we gotta who come home and we got to hunt some more in the Rocky Mountains. So it was a good year. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't hunted Africa can't really understand how incredibly impressive that country is and it doesn't i don't think it really matters which country you're in it's just so different from anything in north america that uh and the abundance of wildlife is just incredible i i you you hit the nail on the head you know uh i in in the previous segment i heard you talking to jonathan about you know hunting and hunting and hunting and maybe having one opportunity and with the hunting style that I grew up in, backcountry mule deer hunting, you might go seven or eight days looking for one single trophy. That was a big eye-opener to get to Africa, and every morning it was, you knew you were going to see 20 or 30 or 40 different types of animals, and you could pursue any of them that you wanted. It was, a, it was an, an eye-opening experience. The first animal on my first trip to, to Africa, I was on the Limpopo as well, and the first morning out, 
within 45 minutes of leaving camp, we saw our first herd of impala. And when you see, you know, 50, 70, maybe even 100 animals at one time, and you've only been hunting for 45 minutes and you know that the the hunt is going to last 10 days, you're thinking, oh, wow, you know, I didn't realize that I was going to see this many animals. And I think, I think, one of the things makes hunting exciting is seeing animals, being able to just kind of feel like you're in their environment and be out there with them. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, and to, and to be in a scenario where you can watch them, I have this conversation regularly with uh, friends that don't hunt, and they'll say, why do you do this? It's such an antiquated thing to be involved in, and I will say regularly, it's a great excuse for me. And ultimately, Putting meat in the freezer, is, is that's the ultimate goal of the hunt for me. But it, hunting is a great excuse to put myself in a position to observe nature and wildlife that, quite honestly, most people just don't ever take the time to do. To go sit on a, on a whether it's a, 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 a tall mountainside and you're glassing right at first light, or whether it's going through the, the brush country of uh, of Africa, away from where tourists are, are generally at, it gives you an entirely different perspective to be able to watch those animals in their natural environment. Well, one of the things that everybody says when uh, you've had your first trip to um, Africa, when are you going back? <laughs> we, we have a really great family friend who started hunting Africa in the 50s. And when I called him and told him that I had booked my hunt, he said, you know, Ryan... You've, you've kind of unleashed the monster. And I said, what, what do you mean, Rich? And he said, once you go hunt Africa, there is only two things that will stop you from doing it again, and that's death and bankruptcy, and one of them is only temporary. Well, that's exactly what I, happened I to me. It wasn't a year later that this, after my trip that I booked another one to, to Mozambique. Um, okay, oh, yeah. so you went to Africa. You, you had a pretty good season in North America. I know, because I know you, and I know your family, one of the most important things to you is getting your kids out. Why don't you talk about your kids, tell us their ages, and, and how you've been able to get them excited in outdoor sports. I know shooting isn't the only thing that they like to do, but uh, it it's all revolves around being out in nature. Right. So I have six kids, three girls, three boys. Uh, Riley is... Uh, 14, Connor's 12, Tessa's 9, Bridger's 6, uh, Marin is 4, and Anders is 2. And it's a real personal thing for me. I was the oldest of four kids, and I went on my first deer hunt with my dad when I was 5. And we were, we were up a canyon behind our cabin, which was not an area that was known for trophies. And I remember at the end of a long day of hunting, we saw a small group of mule deer on the opposite hillside, and there was five or six does, and a little tiny two-point buck. And I remember as a little kid saying to my dad, Dad, is there a buck? And he said, yep, there's a buck. And immediately, shoot it, Dad, shoot it. And he wouldn't have shot it had I not been there. But for a five-year-old kid, I walked across that canyon and picked up those horns on this little two-point buck, and you'd have thought that it was a Boone and Crockett qualifying new world record. As I grew up and had my own kids, I looked at that and I, I saw a lot of my friends with the extreme backcountry hunting that we do. You know, we are, we are miles, 8 to 10 miles away from any vehicle access. We're, we're packing our food. I mean, it's, it's as extreme backcountry as you get. And uh, I saw a lot of my friends who also had children not taking them. And they kept making comments like, Oh, uh, when they get older, when they're big enough, when they're teenagers. And I, I always felt like that was a real disservice because with the number of distractions that exist in the world today, I always felt like if you waited to take your kid until they were 14 or 15, it was probably too late. They'd have so many other distractions, and, you know, at that point, hanging out with Dad maybe isn't the coolest thing to do. And so well, I agree with you on that. Still, I know that still uh, with my hunt, what I found was that my backpack went from about 45 pounds to about 85 pounds <laughs> so that I could carry in most of the weight and make the hike as, as uh, pleasant as possible. But I really started catering my, my backcountry hunting even to including the kids from a young age. So my kids have been coming 
into the backcountry with me once they hit eight. That's the threshold. When they hit eight years old, they come into the backcountry and we start doing the mule deer and elk in the backcountry. Hey, Ryan, it's Zev. How are you? Zev, I'm doing great. How are you, my friend? Good, good. I wanted to uh, jump in real quick and... Uh, before I, I talk a little bit about your, your company, I wanted to just remind Kelly and you how you and I met and what a small world this is. I was working with Tracking Point back, I think, in 2014, and we had an event in, in Utah, and I had heard your name, and Kelly might have overheard me talking about it and said that he knew you and what the story was, and, uh, and you know, Kelly was kind of like the common denominator between us, and then I found out that actually that weekend... Kelly came up and stayed uh, with you for a while. So it's just kind of neat how our community is so small, and uh, I guess all that's centered around you selling uh, a bunch of McMillan rifles back in the day. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Yep, Kelly, uh, Kelly has been a great mentor in a number, of, uh, uh, a number of aspects of my life. But, yes, I, was, uh, I had a few years that I was, uh, had a great time helping at the trade shows and, and getting my uh, introduction to the outdoor world and uh, helping in the McMillan booths at Safari Club and Grand Slam Club and a handful of the shows uh, selling rifles. Really, that's, that's, that was kind of a transition for me into the distance shooting. Um, distance shooting for me became a, a, a priority because of uh, the need for it. I, I had never really been fascinated by it. I had always hunted, you know, get in as close as you can get and take the shot. I spent a fair amount of time bow hunting as a teenager. And... Uh, there was an, an opportunity, a hunting opportunity that coincided with my uh, my meeting Kelly and becoming exposed to more and better rifles that had the capacity to shoot distance. I was on one of our backcountry hunting trips, and two seasons in a row, I had a really, really nice buck, which anybody who's hunted public ground mule deer knows that that is not a frequent occurrence. This was a buck. He was big. Let's just leave it at that. He was big. <laughs> Two years in a row, I saw him sneak up the same ravine through some thick brush first thing in the opening on the opening morning. There was no way to get any closer to him, no way to put a stock on him, and he was at about 750 yards. And for as much as I had brutalized my body getting in there to be able to be in a position to hunt, I came off the mountain that year, and I went and uh, started messing around with McMillan rifles, and I said to myself, I will never be in a position again that I don't have the right equipment that enables me to make the shot that presents itself. Well, that, that is a so, great story. And tell me uh, about your backcountry hunting gear company. I guess it's called Global Outdoor Gear. Uh, what kind of yep. products do you have that, that help in that same vein and make sure that when you go out there, you are as light as you can be and as prepared as you can be? So the truth of the matter is, so Global Outdoor Gear at this point is, uh, it, it, we've been around since 2009. Um, to date, we've focused primarily on lifestyle brands as, or lifestyle products as opposed to um, functional products as far as what we would use in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Um, quite honestly, there is so many great products out there that are lightweight, waterproof to provide layering that what we felt like we would do is try to target um, what the guys wear when they're at home or the ladies when they're at home to... Uh, show off how proud they are of, of the lifestyle they live. Probably the unique uh, aspects to our apparel line is that we offer designs and graphic designs that feature um, game animals from all around the world. Cape Buffalo, Kudu, Marco Polo, sheep, um, lions, giraffe, elephant, as well as deer and elk and antelope and uh, North American wild sheep. So it really gives the person who identifies with hunting an opportunity. The guy who goes on his first Africa trip and shoots a great kudu, he can come home and buy a graphic T-shirt that he can wear out that has a great logo branding on it and has a kudu on it, something that's a little bit unique in the marketplace. Great. And where, can the, where can our listeners find these this clothing? Um, any of the Sportsman's Warehouse stores and any of the Cal Ranch stores carry it. Awesome. Um, so, so pretty much, what do you uh, have plans for 2017? Distribution across the uh, Midwest and the East. Cal Ranch is located mostly in the Rocky Mountain states, but uh, about 100 locations that carry this, the product. 
Okay, we're uh, getting a little short of time now. Um, let's talk about 2000, 2017. What do you have planned for uh, this year hunting-wise? So my oldest daughter uh, will ha- has a great elk hunt coming up this fall, and um, we're going to f- spend a lot of time focusing on that. She shot a really great open, uh, a general season bull two years ago. She shot a nice 5 by 6 bull elk as a 12-year-old on her first year hunting. This year we'll focus on more of a... Uh, trophy antler size uh, hunt. Um, I have got uh, a coal hunt scheduled for June, um, hopefully back in Namibia, and then um, a bear hunt in Idaho this fall, this fall, deer and elk for me in Utah this fall, as well as antelope in Wyoming for my wife, and I'm trying to think what I'm missing here. We've got <laughs> turkeys this spring in southern Utah, and... Whitetails in Wisconsin in November, and whitetails in Idaho in October. So we're going to be full again this year. Yeah, no one can say that you're not an avid hunter, that's for sure. Um, you, I it's wanted to talk sickness. about something that you mentioned, and it's important for me. Uh, you know, a lot of non-hunters think that we just go out there and kill things because uh, we just want to be superior, you know, show our power over the, the rest of the universe, and that's not really true. Um I, for one, right now in my freezer have elk, deer, antelope, um, tuna, salmon, uh, mahi-mahi, and yellowtail, all that I've harvested personally myself, and I rarely ever buy any beef. Now, I know you eat beef because you raise beef, but I know your your freezer looks an awful lot like mine does. Well, you can imagine, with eight of us eating, we go through a lot of food. We have three freezers in our garage. One of them does have beef in it from cows we raise. The other ones, it sounds very similar to yours, minus the fish. Truthfully, um, if you gave my kids the choice and asked them if they wanted elk or beef, they would take elk 100% of the time. It's good for you. It tastes wonderful. And, and it's a part of conservation. I mean, hunters are the ones who are on the ground putting boots on the ground and dollars into conservation really caring for these animals and taking concern that that'll be here for the next generation. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. It, it really com- conservation really is a big part of what we do. Non-hunters don't realize that. They think that we're only responsible for, for killing them, but the fact is, is that we're responsible for them being around for generations to come. Ryan, I'm sorry our time's up. I really want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your life with us, and uh, say hi to the family for me. We'll do it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Take care, Montclair. Bye-bye. And thanks uh, for, to all my listeners for staying tuned. Um, it's been a great week, and I look forward to chatting with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.